0: morning sun valley church and welcome to the voice of the valley i'm jeremy pinch and across the table i have rick whitmer with me today rick it's good to see you it's good to see you too hey happy birthday man <laughs> it's your birthday Why did you do that because i want people to know that it's your birthday uh, i don't want well, <laughs> people to know that it's my birthday yeah it's your birthday man it's your it's your birthday week, it's your birthday month.
1: I get a whole month. You do. It's a, June's a big month. We uh Avonlea was born a week before my birthday and 2 days after my birthday is my anniversary. So June's kind of like hey, it's a busy let's month. Let's pull out all the stops. Yeah. Let's overblow the budget. Yeah. Let's <laughs> make magic happen.
0: Yeah. But it also It was Father's Day a few days ago.
1: Oh, yeah, that happens in June also, Yeah, which also pertains to me. You're (laughs) kind (laughs) of... Yeah. Of the two people in my marriage. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you.
0: Yeah, did you do anything for Father's Day?
1: Um, I took a nap, for sure. Nice. Um, I got some pretty cool handmade cards for my kids. My wife gave me a neat hat um, from one of my favorite... uh, Studios, cross politics studios. Um, I see that. I, then, I see I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> hey, and uh, what else did we do? I don't know. We we watched uh, a movie that night. Yeah, it was low key.
0: Nice. Nice.
1: What'd you do for Father's cool. Day, which also pertains to you?
0: Um, came to church. You forgot that part. Um,
1: hey, that was assumed. But yeah, I shouldn't say that. Church should never be assumed. I repent in dust and ashes.
0: Yeah. Then we went to my parents' house, and then to Katie's parents' house, and then on Monday, uh, Katie, oh. I, and the kids went up and went for a little hike and Father's Day hike. A little Father's Day hike. Nice. Sundays are Sundays are the busy day for us. So we kind really, of are. we had a prayer meeting that night. We did. So Mondays are the nice time that we can spend together as a family. and That's cool. So we did that Monday. Yeah. It was one
1: of the bigger prayer meetings. It was, yeah. We there, were, was, there, there
0: was a massive crowd there yep. on Sunday.
1: Yep. Yeah. The same number of people as w- there were disciples. <laughs> <laughs> we had 12 people. <laughs> no, I was in one of the two prayer groups, the one that kicked you out of. Yeah. And uh, we prayed for you. Um, yeah. I prayed for you. <laughs> In your family. Um, Thank you. And I prayed. I'm not kidding. I prayed uh, that the Lord would please just watch over and protect your family, and especially Millie. Yeah. And I did. <laughs> and we have to. I wasn't even joking. Yeah. No. She's, I, she's the girl of, um, I don't know. She does parkour.
0: She does. At the age of two. She Yeah. She climbed on top of my Jeep the other day and was just standing on the roof by herself. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
1: And, how, I asked Charlie about that. I was on security for service and walked her family across the street. Yeah. And uh, Katie was mentioning it. And I'm like, how did that even happen? And Charlie goes, well, she climbed up on the engine. <laughs> I was
0: like, Dude. Well, she was watching her older siblings do that. So she thought she would do it, too. But yeah, this is this is more or less a Clarion call for uh, praying for Millie. Please uh, do. I especially. mean, especially
1: someone has to. A lot of actually, a lot of people have to.
0: I don't know how many times we're going to actually mention Millie on this podcast. It feels like it's been well. I'm far hoping too many that if this podcast time. is
1: still going when she's old enough to listen that she'll realize <laughs> how much repentance <laughs>
0: there is to do. Oh, bless her little soul. <laughs> Um, so today, Rick, we are talking uh, questions. We had we had just a vast number of people asking us questions over this last week, and by vast I mean two uh, people in particular who asked us some questions.
1: Who is? That? I well, that's one more than I knew of. So
0: yeah, um, well, they kind of the two are one. Um, so and the one or two, but they, we're not,
1: oh, I, we're Trinitarian, right? We're not talking about the persons of God mm-mm. right now. We're talking about the persons of question asking. Yes. Okay. That's where it. we're
0: at. All right. So we had some, we had some questions come in for you for, nope, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they pertain to what we we're talking about in the last three weeks in the end times. Oh. And so I'm excited for you to answer these questions. But
1: well, I have some questions for you. Okay. You go first. <laughs>
0: okay. Um so in in Revelation we have in chapter 7 this this number of 144,000 who are sealed. And so the question coming in Hmm. regarding the 144,000 sealed is, who are they?
1: Well, do you want... Okay, that makes sense.
0: Um, Do
1: you want to read the pertinent passage?
0: I will. So starting in chapter 7 of Revelation, it says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, a hundred and forty-four thousands sealed. From every tribe of the sons of Israel, twelve thousand from the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand from the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand from the tribe of Gad, twelve thousand from the tribe of Asher, twelve thousand from the tribe of Natalie, Naphtali, twelve thousand from the tribe of Manasseh. Same, oh, you're going all the way through. L- Levi, Sorry. Issachar, Zebulun, Joshua, or Joseph, and Benjamin. Oh man, twelve thousand from each. Yeah, of those that's one hundred
1: forty-four thousand.
0: That would be it. Twelve
1: thousand times twelve. Who are they? Well, uh, as you, as you read, they're, they're Israelites.
0: Um, but how is this? So I thought, I thought that their tribes and the lineages of the tribes have been scattered and dispersed and we don't really know.
1: Yeah. You know, there's this talk of the lost tribes of Israel, um, that goes back to the Assyrian conquest, um, of Israel, the Northern, the 10 Northern tribes of Israel in 722 BC, um, And even in the New Testament, we see that that is not the case. Um, Actually, there were a lot of Jews who were not taken to Assyria, even though Assyria dominated the northern tribes. Mm -hmm. Many of the northern tribes, um, the people came down and joined themselves with Judah and Benjamin in the south. And we know this because in the New Testament, we see Anna. She gives the tribe, the old woman in the temple, you know she identifies her tribe. Yeah. We see tri- we see tribal affiliations, um, like Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Paul was of Benjamin, and it's true that in seventy A.D. when Rome was when Rome sacked Jerusalem, that the tribal records were lost, and yet the Lord knows every descendant of of the Jews mm. today, every Israelite scattered throughout the earth, the Lord knows exactly what tribe they belong to. Hmm. And there's, there's, you know, we talked last week about, is something symbolic? And if it is, does it make the text more clear? And if it doesn't make the text more clear, if it actually obscures our understanding of the text and it's, it's likely not symbolic. Um, And that, that goes both ways. So, so if something is, truly an, it, just extraordinary language that couldn't possibly be read literalistically, mm-hmm. then then it would stand to reason it needs to be taken symbolically yeah. and in, is intended to be by God. We don't get that sense here when, when it says that 12,000 were sealed from these tribes. Um, so the flow of revelation, right? There's this focus on the church for the first three chapters, and then we don't see anything else about the church we see the worship of, he- of God in heaven around the throne mm. and praise to the Lamb in chapters 4 and 5. And then chapters 6 through 19 is this focus on the tribulation judgments mm-hmm. in the sequence of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And where this passage on the 144,000 from the tribes of Israel comes in is during the seal judgments. And, and pretty early on, in the tribulation judgments in fact and so it says that these that these people are sealed There's ser- servants of God who are sealed mm-hmm. and so it's God who's ordained the sealing the sealing is that they belong to him okay. and they're explicitly were explicitly told that they're Israelites and okay. there's 144,000 of them now it's significant that this is the first time in the tribulation that we see people turning to the Lord. Hmm. And so what did we say when we talked about the tribulation a couple weeks ago, what is going to be going on even amidst all the judgments with Israel?
0: Uh, There'll be people will be saved. Yeah.
1: Israel is going to return to the Lord. This is that happening. This is, um, I think John MacArthur's referred to it as the first fruits of that. Hmm. So these are literally 144,000 from the tribes of Israel, Now, two tribes aren't named, Dan and Ephraim. Um, In Ephraim's place is Joseph, and in Dan's place is actually the tribe of Levi. Um, That's interesting because Dan and Ephraim both fell into rampant idolatry and rebellion. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet we know from Ezekiel 48, um, which is also a passage dealing with the millennium, and the return of Christ, that Dan and Ephraim are still included Mm -hmm. in God's blessings. But for the purposes of this this 144,000 set-apart servants of the Lord who have a a very specific role to play, um, and and we read about them in Revelation 14 also, that that they did not defile themselves with women, their virgins, their um, particularly blessed servants of the Lord. For those 144,000, dan and ephraim are not participating hmm. so in some um you know who are they they're jews there are forty-four thousand jews elect by god saved at the beginning of his returning israel to himself to go and spread the gospel to the nations
0: so is that is that number the set number of those who will be saved or is that just the be- that's the beginning that's of it? just the beginning that's okay. this
1: particular group okay and this particular group will have Um, a a wide gospel impact during the tribulation. In the very next scene in Revelation, after this 144,000, is a multitude around the throne Mm -hmm. from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who have come through the tribulation. So we know it's not the church, which has been raptured. We know it's not these 144,000, because they're not from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's it's presumably a direct impact from their activities on the earth.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. So the next question for you. Oh.
1: Feel free to jump in on this one.
0: <laughs> I I have nothing.
1: I don't even know. What. I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that.
0: Dig deep. <laughs> <laughs> um So the next one is is regarding the Antichrist. Who is who is the Antichrist?
1: <laughs> Why don't you interpret that question for me, Jer, because there's a few different directions that could go. No, I just. Do you, are you asking for a name?
0: No. <laughs> yeah. Who is he? Because we, we have yeah. a few suspicions. Yeah. Um, this could go. This we this think go he go might have visited <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Who is, who is the Antichrist? I don't. What does he do? What's, I don't know. What's his role? Why? I mean. Oh.
1: Okay, well, we could talk about that. Um, well, as you might get from the title that is often used, anti-Christ, <laughs> he's an enemy of Christ. He's a particularly wicked enemy of Christ. The the Apostle John in Revelation talks about him um, as the beast. Um, the book of Daniel talks about him Um I think it's as the little horn Um, he's talked about in in Daniel 9, as a prince who is to come, who will make a covenant with many for one week, and halfway through the week will break that covenant. Um, We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But really, I think I'm going to go to 2 Thessalonians 1 through 10 to kind of answer that question. Okay. Um, Because Paul talks about him at length here. Okay. And he says, "Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, which, thinking back to First Thessalonians, when are we the church gathered to Christ? Be the." Are
0: you? Are you, this is? Sorry, I was looking at my Bible.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great place to look when you're talking about the rapture. Good job, Jer.
0: I uh, I wasn't
1: listening. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. I know you had your resting, not listening face on. <laughs> I know that says. So he, he says, don't be quickly shaken. Okay, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, the day of the Lord is a term talking about the return of Christ and all that goes along with that, especially the judgments that come along with that. So, he says, let no one deceive you, verse 3, in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That's the Antichrist. He's a man of lawlessness. Some translations have it as a man of sin. Same thing. The Apostle John in 1 John says that sin is lawlessness. Mm -hmm. So, he, he is not submitting to the law of God he's doing his own thing he's called the son of destruction which tells us what he's destined for and we see his destiny in revelation 20 he's thrown into the to the lake of fire this is this is particularly insidious verse 4 he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of god proclaiming himself to be god so this this is The abomination of desolation that Daniel talks Mm -hmm. about that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24. Mm -hmm. He, he actually sets himself up to be worshiped. Mm -hmm. And in revelation, the false prophet, it says, I believe it's in revelation 13 points the world to him and deceives them so that they actually worship this guy. Mm -hmm. We know he's a descendant of, um, He's of European descent, because in Daniel 9, um, we're, we're told that the Romans are the people from which he comes. Hmm. The people of the prince who is to come destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Who was that? That was the Romans. So it's some guy in the future from there who eventually will set himself up to be God. He's a political leader um, who deceives the nations and unleashes the worst persecution on the Jews and believers that has ever happened in the history of the world. Hmm. So that's who he is. And then at the end, in verse 8, it says, The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. And that's exactly what we see him doing in Revelation. Pulling off seemingly miraculous signs, deceiving many, energized by Satan, and destroyed by Jesus when he returns. Hmm. So that's the Antichrist in a nutshell.
0: So, okay, so who who is... What's the false prophet doing then
1: uh, he's, if, if, if the Antichrist is a political leader, um, the false prophet is a religious leader who is supporting
0: him so is, is the false prophet uh, would he be tied to like evangelicalism or, or an, is, it, hmm. is it coming from a different religion Well boy, uh, well, I don't know. Um,
1: I mean, think of evangelicalism, right? That's a specifically gospel-centered Christian phenomenon, Mm -hmm. right? And what's going to happen to all believing evangelicals? They'll have been raptured. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what goes on after that with, you know, quote-unquote Christianity that's not actual Christianity. We see a switch to the Jews um, in God's focus there during that period of time. And so, I honestly, I'm not sure okay. what that's going to look like.
0: So there's a there's a political leader, which yeah. would be the Antichrist, and then there's a a spiritual leader, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, who is who is pointing to the Antichrist, who is yeah, we por- could, worshiping towards the the Antichrist.
1: Yeah, it, it, we could kind of call it the cult of the Antichrist, because you know we had the emperor cults. -hmm. In Rome, right Mm -hmm. the the cultus where the emperor was actually worshipped as a god in the first century, and so if you were going to be a Roman citizen who was left at peace, you would profess Caesar Mm -hmm. is Lord. Mm -hmm. And Christians being unable to do that because we have a very different profession of faith, Jesus Christ is Lord, was a direct political threat but also a religious threat yeah. to the roman empire because you had to worship the emperor as a god and so it actually makes sense that the political fulfillment of the, of that empire would also have an element of um, worship of its supreme leader right fueled by this religious cult so, so actually as i'm saying that i would i would guess he has nothing to do with evangelicalism yeah. because <laughs> because all evangelicalism, even the parts of it that get stuff massively wrong, don't do that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So another another player that's mentioned in Revelation is this Jezebel. Who's Jezebel? Hmm.
1: You mean well? She's mentioned in the earlier part, right? In yeah. the, the chapter uh, in one of the letters to the churches.
0: She's yeah, I think believe she's, she's a very mentioned. immoral, she's
1: a very immoral woman who <laughs> was causing sexual immorality at the particular church that she was a part of.
0: Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of of the prostitute in, in chapter seventeen. Yeah.
1: You're also adding questions.
0: Yes, I am because Let's, these questions have sparked questions.
1: Well, why don't we get to the other people's questions? and I think yeah. what you're actually trying to do is avoid me asking you questions. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on to we're your getting, game. We're getting closer here to, on to uh, games, Patrick.
0: To finishing. So, okay, we'll come back to that question because you're avoiding it. Um,
1: I really want to get to these <laughs> other questions and ask you some questions.
0: Uh, okay, so who is? I feel like I feel like I'm playing Jeopardy now. Um, who who is Gog and Magog? For five hundred. For five hundred.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, can I send you do a couple passages?
0: Y- you sure can.
1: Can you go to Genesis 10 one and two? Okay. And then also uh, Revelation twenty, seven through
0: eight. No, I was just in revelation. Man. Your book
1: your book ending your book ending it, man. <laughs> the beginning and the end.
0: Revelation what um,
1: 20, seven through eight. Okay, so Gog and Magog. Um, Ezekiel 38 and 39 describe a gathering of the nations to come against Israel in a massive battle, which results in the destruction of the army of those nations and the setting up of what we would, what we read as the millennial kingdom, Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, as it's describing this new temple which I think gets at another question that was asked. Um, and so Ezekiel, these, these later chapters, we would also read sequentially. And so we understand that what I'm going to read to you here from Ezekiel 38 is also something that is is seen at the end of Revelation in chapter 19. Um, the nations coming up against the holy city, coming up against the people of God, resulting in their destruction by Christ at his return. Um, And it says here that the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, because behold, I am against you, O Gog chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Um, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth to Garma, from the uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes, many peoples, are with you. Mm. So that's, we see Gog and Magog. It has eschatological or end times significance, right? Um, Gog is a specific person. He says, set your face toward Gog and say, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you, O Gog. So that's a person. Mm -hmm. Chief Prince of Meshach and Tubal. That's a place. Those are places which are also identified as the land of Magog. So Gog is a person. Magog is a place. Um, It's in the vicinity of Meshach and Tubal. And so I want to just mention that and then ask you to read Genesis 10, 1 through 2.
0: These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons who are born to them after the flood: the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus.
1: Okay, a few names there sound familiar, right? Yeah. Magog, Meshech, Tubal, sons of Japheth, who historically, after the flood, located to the north in what today is Asia Minor, um, this, the vicinity that the seven churches of Revelation we're in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that here, this person, Gog, who just to answer it plainly is most likely the same. It's the Antichrist who leads the nations in war against the people of God, okay. which we see happening in Revelation 19. This is the last, this is the battle before Christ returns. That's being described. So Gog is the Antichrist. He's from the land of the north, Okay, um, or he, he's, he's gathering armies from the land of the north, of the, of the land of Magog, and they're coming together down from the north, which it says, I will gather you um, from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Okay, that's, that's what's going on there. Um, the Antichrist coming from the north with the armies to come against Jerusalem. Jesus is going to return, destroy the rebellion, and, camp, and cast the Antichrist into the lake of fire. But that's not the last time we see Gog and Magog. In Revelation 20, 7 through 8, which happens a thousand years later um, after at the end of the millennium, when mm-hmm. Satan is released.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, want me to read it?
1: Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> of course I want you to read it.
0: And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea.
1: Now there, Gog and Magog are names given to the armies of the rebellion at the end. So okay. the names, they're used symbolically for those armies. And so in other points in scripture, um, like in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, sometimes the word Gog is used. Okay. Um. Translating certain names, so it's it can be a formal title for a supreme leader of some kind. But in in the end times, Gog is we believe the Antichrist, Magog, the location, and then at the end of the millennium, the names the two names that are given to the armies that are gonna come up against the holy city.
0: Okay, so you don't you don't want to be associated with Gog or Magog?
1: Generally, not. Oh, okay, no. good.
0: Though my favorite. Title for a blog
1: that I've heard is Blog and May Blog. That's Doug Wilson's. Blog. I'm like so creative. But playing with fire.
0: <laughs> playing with fire. playing Playing with fire. <laughs> okay. The final question for you, Rick, and the final question of the podcast. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> is when will the third temple be built in Jerusalem?
1: When will it be built?
0: Oh, sorry. Will a third temple be built in Jerusalem?
1: Um, yeah, we believe it will. I actually mentioned a couple weeks ago that there's already um, temple vestments and implements prepared by some Jews anticipating a rebuilt temple. And if the Antichrist in Second Thessalonians 2 is going to set himself up in the temple of God, not just a temple of a God, but in the temple of God um, that would in fact require there to be a temple. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then in Ezekiel 40 through 48, we have the most extended vision with minute details about a temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. The details of which don't make sense if it's symbolic. Mm -hmm. Again, does it clarify anything for us that there would be nine chapters of detail about a temple if that particular temple in those dimensions has never existed no that doesn't that doesn't help us at all and so we with respect to diverging viewpoints we actually believe that there will be a third temple built where the Jews will worship and come to honor Christ hmm. so
0: so will it be will it be built off of what's remaining um, from the last temple
1: Um. I'm not, I, I would think so. Okay. I would think so, mm. but I'm not particularly sure. And there might be a detail in the text that I'm just not thinking about right now. Probably. Probably. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> Which is the question I had for you. No. <laughs> and to be honest, uh, you know, we see there in those chapters, um, sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the Achilles heel of our theology of the end times is is if we actually do believe that that those chapters are describing a future temple with future sacrifices that we know are not atoning in mm-hmm. nature like they don't atone for sin um there's different views about why they're there but i actually have no clue how to explain that yeah i mean i believe there will be because it's in the text and i think that reading it it naturally leads us to the conclusion that there will be a temple with sacrifices but Yeah. Christ has made an end of sacrifice and and to be honest, I I just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. So Yeah. Um how far in are we?
0: We're only 30 minutes in.
1: Oh. I was wondering. (laughs) So those are the end of the questions. Um Thank you. What have you been Yeah (sighs) for those questions. Thank you. There were there were some folks who had some good questions that they told me in person. But they weren't actually asking the questions on the podcast. They were just talking about asking the questions, and I wish they had sent them in. And if you are listening to this, you know who you are, and we're very disappointed. <laughs> you
0: could still send those in if you want.
1: Yeah, we yeah. just won't answer them. Yeah, we'll just so delete them. Maybe next year. Yeah. No, I just been wondering what are you? Uh, what have you been reading lately? That's been it's a real softball stirring
0: question. Stirring up your heart and mind. This is like CNN asking. <laughs> Is there really? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Don Lemon. Not it. (laughs) What what have I been reading? Yeah, just what have you been thinking about lately? Oh, Well, I haven't been thinking much. It's been Um, edifying you. But you know that. Um, (laughs) I've been reading a a few things. Uh, So our small group guys are reading through a book called Simply Trinity. Uh, Obviously going through the Trinity. Uh, It's, it's been a difficult read. It's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, But uh, been reading, reading through that, been reading. uh, What else have I been reading? Well, we've been reading fault lines as a staff. Mm, Yes. You, John and I, but John's gone. Um, Are you still reading it? I am on chapter four. Okay. But I think we're on chapter four, like, 4 weeks ago. Yeah. So um riveting discussion. <laughs> riv- yeah, it's been it's been amazing. No, uh no, that's a really good book it actually. very very good. Um I'm reading a book on on Joseph by Vodi uh, On the biblical Joseph, on the biblical Joseph.
1: Which book is that? I didn't know he wrote one.
0: Uh it's called Joseph. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> He's so creative with his titles. I that man uh <laughs> is it new? No, I think it's been out for a while. Okay. I, 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 my plan was to go through the story of Joseph with the students during the summer. Oh. And so I was going to use that kind of as a my my starting point um, for the teaching. Um, if someone wanted yeah. to get
1: into the doctrine of the Trinity and really just because when we're talking about the Trinity. Um, we're talking about knowing God, yeah. and if we love God, we want to know Him. And is there a book on the Trinity that you would recommend for for folks if they wanted to just get to know God better?
0: Yeah, uh, delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Yeah, that's has, not a very big one. It's not very big, and he and he and he makes it and puts it in such simple language that's like, oh. Yeah, and he's kind a, of funny. Yeah, and he yeah he, he talks about Gog and Magog in, in his book. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, his he, he he puts it in layman's terms, which I appreciate. Um, and it it the the title of the book itself actually makes you want to delight more in hmm. in the Trinity. Um, so yeah, that's I, good. I really like that book. And I know you've read that too, but. Um, Full confession. I've read like half of it. <laughs> well, sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm not, well, just not as good as you. No, no at anything. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. What are you reading?
1: Huh. Well, a few things. Um, also, reading um, Going Through Practical Religion with Someone um, okay. by J.C. Ryle. And Ryle, if I had to probably, if I had to spend the rest of my life with one author, present or past, from in in Christian history, um, it would be J.C. Ryle. Hmm. I would spend if I had to only read one author. His writings are so clear. They're so deep, while not being inaccessible. There, I mean, he is talking to every Christian about holiness and about how to live out our faith, about the urgency of, of prayer and, um, the beauty of Christ in corporate worship. And so that's, that's a good one. Um, so I'm just starting that with someone, um, to read over the, probably over the next year. Um, I just finished a really good one, um, called live not by lies by Rod Mm. Dreher. And that is, um, A book that, and actually, just bought one for the bookshelf. um, Looks at the signs of what he calls soft totalitarianism that are happening in our culture, such as cancel culture, uh, media censorship, um, big tech, um, seeing everything in your life, um, increasing restrictions on religious liberty, things that people who came out of the hard totalitarianism of the Soviet Union. um, Yeah lived through and suffered torture through, um, as simply for being Christians and have come to the West and are seeing these things and are saying, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're paying money to have an Alexa in your house so that a a company can monitor everything you say. Don't do it, you know, and they're just like, and and so it's really focused on preparing Christians to suffer Hmm. Um, and the suffering probably won't be in the near future, the, what Christians suffered under the hard totalitarianism in the Eastern Bloc, but it, uh, nevertheless is real and the church has some potentially dark days ahead. Yeah. Um, and also just for fun. Um, and there's a lot to sift through here that, <laughs> that I don't take, but I just, he fascinates me as I'm reading Jordan Peterson's new book, um, Beyond Order, 12 More okay. Rules for Life. Okay. In a great biography of Martin Lloyd Jones that I've been kind of just plugging away at, yeah. um, by Ian Murray. Um, Martin Lloyd Jones is one of my heroes, um, probably, probably the most impactful preacher from church history to me personally. Yeah. And then, of course, like you mentioned several times last podcast, *The Lord of the Rings*.
0: You just you're
1: stuck on it, man. <laughs> it's going to be a while. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, just a little bit at a time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you uh do you have any encouragement for our people for this summer about how we can really use the summer to honor Christ?
0: Um well that's a that's a good question. Um yeah, I, I was thinking about this on the way home, actually if you on Sunday, um, thinking about last summer and where we were at as a church, uh, to this summer and where we're at now. Um and thinking about the future and, and what's taking on what's taking place around the world. Um, and particularly in our country and just, uh, I think my encouragement would be keep pursuing Christ as Andy was talking about on Sunday, like Christ should be the the focus and, uh, serve others, like find, find ways to, to serve other people. Um, whether that's in the church on Sundays or just throughout the week. And, and it was, it's been really encouraging to see how the church has actually been doing that over the last, you know, three, four months. Um, and how that, how that plays out. So the more we look to Christ, the more he's our focus, the more he, he is radiant in our, in our eyes, in our minds, in our hearts, uh, the more that will be played out and be in fellowship. It's easy for us during the summertime to, to take the summer off, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it's it's super important to be in fellowship with with the body of Christ, and I think that's where I was thinking about last Sunday. Is you know we didn't have that last summer. Um, I mean, we we met outside in the heat for a while, right. um, but we have the opportunity now this summer to to gather as a body to worship corporately, to to encourage one another uh, through service, through our words, and all those things. So. Um, yeah, I think I think Andy's application from this Sunday is is incredible for how we it think a, about the sermon. That summer.
1: was a very very timely and good sermon. Yeah. And so, if you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to to that from yeah. this past Sunday. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good question.
1: I've got more, but I I'm trying to be sensitive to our time. Yeah. So I'll let you off the hook.
0: You You've gone way over time. I'm not
1: not even close. Maybe maybe a little bit. Yeah. Only because you took so long at the beginning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Church, we love you. We look forward to being with you next week on The Voice of the Valley as we start working through some uh, heart issues, anger, lust, those types of things over the next 10 weeks or so, 8 Ooh. weeks, something like that. Yeah. Pastor Rick's about to jump into the Sermon on the Mount.
1: Much prayer needed. Thank you. Yeah, Please pray.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Church, we love you. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.